Hi, I'm Neil from the RuneQuest Project, and welcome to Tales from the Black Elinx, a podcast series where we talk to the authors of Johnstown Compendium Publications. This evening, I'm joined by two of the four-person team that is Beer with Teeth, the authors of the fantastic publications Rocks Fall, Stone and Bones, and The Dregs of Clearwine. So without further ado, who are you and where are you? So I'm going to talk first because I'm loudest. We're a four-person team. I'm Diana, generally known as Berra. I live in Cambridge in the UK and I'm a really lovely person, really, and I would like that to be recorded for posterity. Hi, I'm Dom Twist, often known as Rager. I live in the the southwest tip of the UK. And uh, can you tell us who are the uh, two missing members of the team tonight? Uh, We're missing uh, Chris, who is principally an artist, but does other stuff as well, who who lives in Wales, and Erin, who is uh, over on the west coast of Canada and uh, uh, is also a writer for us, and also a researcher particularly. Erin is an archaeologist and teacher, so a lot of what she has to say directly about the Bronze Age is very interesting and new to us, and she improved especially the dregs of clear wine to the point where we were able to put in, oh, this is how the real-world archaeology works. Yeah, it definitely makes an improvement to the gameplay, I think, when you've got somebody of that calibre um, helping along. So the other publication that I did uh, with an old, old role-playing friend of mine, the Rubble Redux, he's actually an archaeologist as well. He does 3D renderings of Pompeii and you know ruined cities, so it uh, yeah definitely adds a bit of a bit of reality to it for sure. It does add an awful lot, I think, to to it, and we we find an awful lot of people with an interest in archaeology or historical reenactment or historical studies tend to play RuneQuest. It it does tend to sort of fit in. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be much archaeological reenactments in Dungeons and Dragons, for example. No, although it is quite cool that you can design a dragon from scratch and have it work in real-world biology. It takes a bit of doing. Erin really likes the archaeology. She actually probably has seen some of the 3D renders that your friend has done if he does it, because she shows us, ooh, this is a bone, and ooh, this is a skull with eyes put back into it. Look, you can twirl it round. So um, maybe tell us a bit about your history with RPGs and how you first encountered RuneQuest or HeroQuest. Okay, I'll, I'll probably start off there because I've got the longer history uh, with RuneQuest. Because so he's on. old. I am. I'm, I'm, re- I'm really old. I can state for the camera that that is in fact true. Yeah. Uh, I started uh, role-playing games back in the 80s and started with D&D, quickly got fed up with it and moved off wanting something with a bit more bones to it and reality and quickly bumped into both Traveller and Chaosm in the form of RuneQuest and Cthulhu. Um, I didn't actually get to play much RuneQuest because I couldn't afford it because it was expensive back then. Um, And it wasn't until later on when Games Workshop did an edition I got my hands on it, and then I was gutted to find it didn't have Glorantha and it didn't have this incredible chewy depth world that I wanted. So it wasn't until the 90s that I actually got to run RuneQuest uh, at a local club and things with the, with all the bits I wanted. And I really, really loved it. But I didn't really get to play much more until the, the new edition came out, uh, RuneQuest Glamour, and then uh, an old friend, hi Tom if you're out there, 
decided he'd put a game together live online and introduced me to a bunch of other weirdos, one of which is uh, on the call with us today, and that's how I met Diana Berra. And I invited an old friend of mine, Chris, who is my, my wife's roommate at uni, and uh, I used to GM for her and, and my wife on occasion. I introduced her into the game, and Tom invited Erin in as well, and that's, that's how we all met. Was that something you did at school? I mean, without wanting to age you further, was that a school yeah, yeah. Uh, after school thing? Or? Yeah, yeah. It started when I was about 11 um, when uh, a friend of mine's dad bought him the basic D&D red box set. And, you know, being typical geeks, we ended up playing it. We ended up starting a role playing club at school and somebody bought Cthulhu and couldn't run it. And so handed it to me. Um, so that's how I found out about Chaosm. And from the pages of White Dwarf magazine, that's where I saw Traveller and RuneQuest and these incredible worlds that I wanted to play in, you know, these incredibly in-depth, detailed worlds that were a bit more, you know, something to them rather than the cookie cutter. And so that's what set me on the route to RuneQuest and other games by, by Chaosm and really enjoyed that. And did you, um, did you skip the RuneQuest 6 Mithras era? Yeah, missed it entirely. I was one of the backers of uh hero wars as it was then uh, my name's in, a, in one or two of the books put some money into it this is before kickstarter and i gotta say it really didn't work for me i didn't like it i didn't like the narrative style i didn't like the formats of the cheap paperback books that they came out because it was all they could do i mean i'm really glad they did them and i'm really glad some people mm. love them and and i'm really glad it carried on the game world so you know i'm not saying it's horrid or anything like that it just didn't work for me and i kind of skipped out on the whole thing didn't see Mithras, didn't do any of that. And it, and, uh, it wasn't until uh, RuneQuest Glamford started coming back that I was re-infused. So for me, when I was a kid, my stepmother said, there is this awesome game called Dungeons and Dragons. And as a family, we all started playing it and we had the most wow. amazing DM. After we'd finished with him, he never DM'd again, but he's happy even though he's slightly broken and sobs at night because it was just such a marvellous campaign. So he played weekly for years, but I quickly wanted to make up my own stories as well. And someone lent me a copy of Amber Diceless Role-Playing Game. And I'm a very happy, low-crunch person in general. I, I like the narrative style. Hero Wars has way too much crunch for me. You think you have to roll to get the effects right when someone needs a, a climactic moment, you're wrong. You should be able to read those people. And one of my superpowers is telling when people are unhappy so I can tread on them. <laughs> um, that that was me not being a nice person, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm a nice person. So for years and years, like I was very loyal to that. I tried out other things, I've enjoyed other things, but I always returned to it. And eventually I just run so many campaigns and so much within a huge world that I was a bit burned out on it. And around that time, Tom said, hey, you should play this. And I said, no, I get obsessive about stuff. I don't have time. <laughs> and he, he kind of twisted my arm into it. And now he's going, you are a bit obsessive about this stuff, aren't you? I was like, Tom, I told you so. How deep did you go into the RQ2 stuff? Did you go back in time after playing RQG or...? Um, well, I, I, I did start with RQG. I have looked a bit into um, other HeroQuest stuff and other RuneQuest stuff. And I have um, Borderlands and Beyond, which I'm planning to run for people. And I'm also planning to run Sun County. Um, I, I like those. I can see how you get from where they were to where they are, but it's a lot better now. 
for one thing, you can be a female character and you can be an Analdan or a Chalana Arroy initiate and it actually works. It's not just plans that you're not going to be one of those people and that widens it out a bit. And for another, the, the current sense of humour and just the build of the world, it's very, very hard to put into words, but I fit into that very well. And it's, it's the little details in the books that create what the world is like. And I really appreciate how Duke Rouse fits into his world. But I like much more how Queen Laika helps build the world by the descriptions of what she's like and what her court are like. And I think that the implicit world building in RQG is basically better than anything I've found. It's interesting to hear then, because I mean, obviously me and Dom have come from a background of playing it when we were really quite young. So for me, it's almost like a return to source type of deal where RQG, there's a lot of kind of foundational information within me. So it's interesting to see how you've approached RQG and how it's affected you without having that deeper history. The way that we properly met and started doing things together, the very beginning of Beer With Teeth, was when we wrote our first game together. And later you're going to ask us, what is our favourite publication? <laughs> We're going to both hold up our Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Dom was able to tell me like, how the world would go and what the emotional feel you should get from a scenario would be having that history within the group which nobody else has has been invaluable if you look at my game shelves i've got all the old stuff i've got all the old classics i've, I've read it all i've got you know all the fanzines and all the rest of it i've got all of that i, I admit i sold some of my RuneQuest 2 stuff not long ago because i didn't have that emotional attachment to it and i needed the money to buy RuneQuest forever but i have got all the RuneQuest 3 stuff and all the other uh, all the old publications and things like that there and i read it and absorbed it so i've got that gut feel for the world but it's really good to have that new lens of Vera there to you know, experience it in the new way. And also to have Erin in the background st sticking in the Bronze Age realities. And uh, Chris, besides wonderful art, is also very good at going, just a minute, aren't you doing? And actually very good at picking us up on some of the stuff that we've just assumed that maybe it's wrong or a bit out there. And she's very good at picking up stuff like that. So as a team, we work very well together, I think. Uh, and we kind of have all those different uh, elements. So what made you form the the four of you together as a as a business? Was there a, a particular reason rather than just having it as a more of a loose collaboration? I kind of get blamed a lot for this. The first thing is I've been a freelancer in art and engineering for quite a long time. So I know, for example, that it's just better to have an overarching brand that people can relate to rather than confusing people. And once I've worked with Dom, I wanted to be able to see if it would work with other people as well. So Dom and I were talking already about beer with teeth and publishing generally under that. So because we didn't want to be representing ourselves in two different ways to Chaosium, the, the phrase beer with teeth for us happened very early on, but then I wanted to try self-publishing on the Johnstown Compendium. So I, I quietly kind of crept behind the scenes a bit and went to Chris, hey, you're an artist, we've worked together before. Would you like to draw trolls or bandits or scorpion folk? And halfway through, she grabbed me by the microphone and yelled, yes. So we did something relatively simple, but with lots of really good art for her to get into practice with. Um, which is why we have actual standees for Rock's Fall. 
And then that was kind of three of us together in Beer With Teeth. And we talked to Erin about it as well. And, we, and now it's like three, it's a bit complicated. Should we have an extra one? But I have a lot of spare time, which means I've always been a driving force um, within the four of us. I, I do a lot of the organisation. And so I went, you know what? I'm basically writing an extra thing with Erin anyhow. Can we invite her in as well? Uh, we're all in the same great gaming group. We know each other. We trust each other. And so Beer With Teeth grew from a brand that was essentially there so that people wouldn't get confused. Uh, if, if you've got two or three people together, you should have one way of referring to them. And that's pretty fundamental. And I know Rajar came up with the name Beer With Teeth as a phrase. I can't remember anymore which of us applied it first, but I'm going to blame that on him anyhow. Yeah, it was, it was an in-game moment when my Stormball discovered cider. And and I presented cider and and the two pint glasses represent my large Stormball and and Berra's small Humacti because um, that's how they drink their beer. Yeah, so that's how it came about as a as a, a phrasing game. It's very much Diana's very much the driving force behind it in in you know doing all the editing and layout and shouting at people, and then the rest of us kicking ideas when we like stuff. And, and when projects capture our imagination and when we have enough time, energy or spoons to do it all, basically, because um, a lot of us are very busy or, or just have other stuff on or, you know, whatever else. Division of Labour, then, obviously, Chris does the art. Diana, I know you do some of the art as well. Dom and Aaron just do writing. They just. Yeah, writing ideas and research. As we mentioned, Aaron's research goes into a lot of it. I do a bit of that myself as well. The reason that we have Omjean the charcoal carrier is because Dom got really, really excited about the ancient world and Greece and charcoal. And this great character in Dregs grew out of him going, look, you must all read this paper. Yeah, I, I found a paper on charcoal burning and its effect on the Greek economy, ancient Greek economy. And yeah, that set me <laughs> off. Um, so uh, uh, that and I, I spent a lot of time kicking around various parts of the world, often mountainous. Uh, and so I, I'm pretty good at doing places and descriptions and having this feel for places. Spent a lot of time in the Highlands of Scotland, but also in the Himalayas and various other places. So that's where a lot of the action happens in in RuneQuest in its current Dragon Pass type setting. Uh, and years of hitting people with chunks of metal. Is that live role playing thing or is that something we should uh, be watching out for on Crime Watch? It's a historical reenactment. So as you can see, there's there's swords and axes in the background for those of you who are watching the camera, which is just you. But also, um, yeah, I've done some extra work in movies and I was King Arthur on kids TV and a few things like three or four times. You know, mm. um, I, I think Equity had me down as a, a, a stunt extra, which is to say I didn't get to say much, no speaking parts, but I, I did a lot. Well, a lot. I did a bunch of sword fights on TV and stuff like that. And so I've been into that a long time. And uh, several other of our group are into that sort of thing as well. Chris loves her, yeah. her weapons and swords and that sort of stuff. And Diana's pretty stabby, as we mentioned. And Erin's quite a big figure in the SEA over where she is. Um, so this question might come to a bit of a, a, as a bit of a surprise to you, but what's your favourite RuneQuest publication? <laughs> For those who cannot see at home, I'm holding up the Pegasus Plateau and pointing to my name. Yeah. Yeah, that's weirdly, um, that's kind of proto beer with teeth because the, the actual first thing we wrote was Crimson Petals for the Pegasus Plateau. And that was written by me and Barrow, Diana. And that's the first thing we wrote, but then we sold it to Chaosm 
and so the first thing published wasn't that uh and so the the, the beer with teeth brand isn't out there and we've sold a few other things and there's more work we've been doing for chaosm that will be coming out in the future which is not officially beer with teeth but it kind of is um because it's us again because it's us again yeah and and so if i was going to say what's my favorite i'm not going to actually go with the pegasus butter i'm going to go old school because i am old school so if you're talking glorantha i'm going to say griffin mountain if you're talking not glorantha i'd say the thieves world sanctuary box set um Ooh, because yeah because yeah, that just so grabbed me and and you know i spent ages pouring over these maps and at the time i didn't have access to glorantha so this was my sort of intro into fantasy world charism and that this, this lovely in-depth cities that they were so good at you know and the same with griffin mountain that drew me in and, and that's kind of where the idea for dregs came from because it was like you know those products and white dwarf again aurelian which i'm gonna run very shortly those drew me in and said i want to do that that's what i want to do and i dragged the rest kicking and screaming with me and that's how dregs happened but so yeah thieves world sanctuary and or griffin mountain depending whether you need glorantha in, in that list I was just going to say, so Griffin Mountain, I mean, that's also one of our, so one of the original campaigns we played, obviously we did a Pavis one, but the other which really stuck in my mind is our Griffin Mountain. What do you think was the the appeal? Because, I mean, that has got a wide-ranging, you know, a lot of people like that publication. It's one of my favourites as well. Yeah, absolutely. For me, it's the big sandbox that you can just go and do what you want with and all these hooks and ties, all these lovely, I mean, I love the citadels and that. And so you can, and all these complicated characters and you can sort of, your players are off doing their thing and you can just have them running around the sandbox. And I just love that style of play as, as a GM, I just absolutely loved it. And so using those, um, those packs alongside stuff like RuneQuest Cities and they did Cars and Toulon of the Isles again along with Bedenkia Press but um, and, and it was very much that Sanctuary and Bedenkia Press the Cars and Toulon of the Isles packs it was making like I love those settings and having that but I want it in RuneQuest you know I mm. love RuneQuest Glorantha as a book but for me that's the operating system that's where we that you run your adventures in so I'm not going to choose a rule because my favourite. I'm going to choose the settings and things like Griffin Mountain where you can do these things. And I wanted to recreate something like that at the depth and level that I love doing in Sanctuary's Right and work out who lived in it, every, every single house, who the people were, who those characters were, who the interactors. And then you could drop the players into that sandbox and it virtually wrote itself at that point. And that's very much what I wanted to do with Dregs. And that's why I love Griffin Mountain Sanctuary and the RuneQuest Cities books. You know, all, all three of them in my mind, I'm sure four of them. The answers from the others here are, um, they're both really looking forward to the gods book. Chris, being an artist, also really loves the art in the bestiary. I think probably, actually, mm. I might change yeah. my mind because I think the most useful single publication to me has, I, I use the bestiary a lot for the Monster of the Week, yeah. but I think the most important thing that there is out there is the calendar because mm. I can tell people it's coming up to your holy day and I get so much out of that. So that might actually be my favorite because it that's in the best room my go-to plotty things but i've got a big soft spot in my heart for pegasus plateau because that's the first time i've been paid money for publishing i need a tie break there i also do like the calendar i like the uh the panicked expression on the players when they realize that their high holy day is only two days away and they're stuck in the middle of the wastes they're in the middle of the desert they need to cross yeah. it right and we had this this year it's like i need to get to tawny altar within a week 
And it turns out that at Tawny Altar, there are people who really don't like me. <laughs> and can you tell us anything about the work that you're currently doing with Chaosium, or is that that shtum? We have a project that we are pitching, but we'd prefer not to mention what's going on yet, um, in part because people then ask us questions about it, in part because obviously we want Chaosium to say yes, and we want yeah. to say yes in an enthusiastic manner. And we need to wait for decks to be cleared, but we're hoping to do something relatively big for them next. There is, I think, a small thing that I can mention that's coming out in that both myself, Bera, and Erin uh, have written some bits for the upcoming weapons and equipment book. Um, I can mention that now because Jason and Jeff have both mentioned that on the forums, that it's it's up and coming, uh, a bun along with a bunch of other people have written bits and there's a lot of interesting stuff in that. Having seen the, the contents list and seen all the topics, which I'm not going to talk about because that's for Jeff and Jason, but there's some incredible stuff in there. It's not just a splat book. It's, it's, there's a lot of interesting lore and material and things in there, which is it's coming. And that's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, my bit was fairly modest, I must say, but um, there's some really interesting material coming. Yeah, that, that one's definitely not just a shopping list. It's why would you want to have and understand these things? So that's really cool. And I'm happy to have been part of that, but it is still in development. That's very cool. Is that quite a release announcement? I think I must have missed that one. Jeff mentioned it when somebody asked about what's coming up. Jeff has mentioned it, but it has not made it to the official release schedule yet. So um, no promises. We know, we know policy on this. It will be a while. Um, I don't think the writing's finished yet either, but I know Jeff did mention that there, or possibly it was Jason actually, that there is, for example, a section on tattoos and how all that happens, which of course is really interesting stuff for, for Chaosm. Um, I'm, I'm only mentioning stuff that they've mentioned in public. I'm not going to mention anything I've seen behind the scenes because who knows, might not make it to, to edit. I don't yep. want to disappoint people. Um, so obviously you mentioned Griffin Mountain. Do you have a favourite region in Glorantha? And, and if you do, why? So I think I probably like Dragon Pass most just because I have only literally been exposed to a small area of it. And you know, for me, Sartre is the thing where I can make up new things and it's all exciting and new. But I also get that Watcher of the Skies on a new planet feeling if I look at Borderlands and Beyond or Sun County. So I think I really like those as, a, as an untouched, uncharted area that I can mess around with. But for me, it's basically whatever is newest to me and has a lot of stuff out there. And that's Sata, where I am. Um, for me, um, I mean, I do love Sata because I, I know the area so well. Um, I remember giving somebody directions from Clearwine to Apple Lane uh, just off the top of my head um, <laughs> on a forum once. So I didn't have to look at a map. And it was like, you know, you go up the valley, you go past Baxfield, you go by uh, Asbornstead, and then you take a right and then... Um, you know, I know the area very well, but my favourite area, I think, is the Gorienkath, is is the Troll Homelands. Shout out to Troll Pack, which is also amazing. I mm. didn't mention Troll Pack as one of my favourites because for me, as bulk of my gaming has been, well, actually now, the bulk of my gaming in Glorantha has been with RuneQuest Glorantha because we've played so much in the last, since it came out. Um, but before that, it was Sartre and RuneQuest 3, and so the Troll books were split into three packs, so I couldn't pick one. But no, the 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 aliens who aren't just humans in skin suits, nature of trolls, I done right, was brilliant. And I love that difference and otherness. And one of my favorite gaming experiences this time around was introducing 
Berra and all the newbies to to Degori Inkers and Crabtown, and having them go there. They were on a detective mission to find White Eye, who 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 had retired to Crabtown now, um, and so they they had this thing, and he had uh, this item that somebody needed, and so they did this whole d diplomacy thing, and I've got to run all the classic old troll stuff. And you know, have drinking contests and, and hmm. make people drink pousy and all that sort of stuff. And it was great fun doing all that cultural anthropology stuff to a bunch of people who had never seen it before. So that that was great fun. So I loved Degoria Guth and, and Crabtown, and that area is is great fun. Was that before or after the um, the troll scenario? I think we did Rocks Fall first. I think, but definitely having trolls as kind of part of my head and as he says the alien not in a human skin suit makes me really happy i love trolls as a concept so it, it could have been in the other order but definitely that was a bit of an inspiration for me for vingers ford if you want to play it that way you can absolutely definitely have the trolls be the good guys like if you if you have a troll heavy party you can help out the trolls and that's that's absolutely fine Definitely one of the benefits of Reinquest itself is that it's not just, you know, monsters filled with experience points. You know, they're, they're no, living races yeah. that actually you, that you can interact with and play with. I, I remember a review from many, many years ago. And this, I think, was one of the things that made Reinquest one of the games I wanted. You know, when I wanted out of D&D &D and I wanted something with substance, was somebody saying, you know, Runequest was a game where you could encounter a dark troll village and instead of burning it down and counting the experience points, get converted <laughs> to their religion and be sent back to um, as missionaries to humanity. You know, and that's, uh, you know, and there was me going, yeah, yeah, I want some of that. And and I want to understand what all this stuff in White Dwarf is about, initiates of this and cultists of that, and you know, and, and I want to know what it all means because it's fantastic and I want to run it. So, yeah. Yeah, in my Glorantha, mistress trolls are ranked by whether they've ever seen the sun. So you know that someone is really high level when you meet somebody who says, never have my eyes touched light, never has my skin touched light. And there's one who is eyeless because her eyes touch light so she pulled them out and this is perfectly well understood by the trolls and ate them no doubt probably offered them but might have eaten them because then you can destroy it maybe that's how she offered them love it so from gaming in runequest then what made you take the leap into actually writing and writing for the johnstein compendium I think what it was is Diana asked, we were having a thing where our, our main GM of the original game of Reinquest, which still continues that we're playing, that our friend runs, uh, he was suffering a bit of burnout. You know, he, he's got a very busy job. And so he was getting to the point where he needed, and he's always wanted to have other people come in and guest GM and do sort of a troop assemble and, you know, have people take over and he could play characters. He's always wanted that. It's always been his ideal. So uh, I, I've run a few things and Bera said, I'd like to run something, but I'm not too sure about running such a crunchy system, uh, having mostly been an Amber. So Don, can you help me with the world and we'll, we'll sort of get it ready and then we'll both run it together. I think I took the lead in running it. Bera was there in the background. So this is about session 15, 16. It was actually pre-COVID. It was a few years ago. It was just, yeah. we wanted to do this. And I definitely wouldn't have been able to GM it at that point with any smoothness. And is this an in-person session as well, or were you playing remotely at this stage? We've always played remotely. 
Hmm. Yeah, yeah, we've always played remotely. Um, some of our characters, uh, some of our players are in the north of England, some in the very south, some are in Wales, one's in Finland, one's in Canada. Um, we've always been online. So yeah, so we, we sat down and we got it all ready to go. And because Bera wanted to be really, really on top of it, we wrote it up in quite a lot of detail. And then I suspect, although she I, she hasn't admitted to me so far, there was always at the back of her mind that she wanted to publish. And and then I'll hand it over to Diana to explain the rest. Yeah, pretty much by that point, it was, I hadn't deliberately not blocked it from being something that we could publish. So, you know, I, I'd set everything out, A, so that Don could read it really well while he was running it, and B, so that I could write really good notes on it. And then once we had those, that had kind of got me over my initial hesitancy, and I reckoned that I could fully write it up. So I did a lot of the editing work, but with Dom doing, you know, more ideas and how things had worked and why he played it that way in particular. And then we pitched that to Chaosium. And that's how we actually started writing, which is a really weird way for, you know, I don't think anyone else came into the JC in the same way. But after that, we had, you know, we knew we could do it. It was just a question of what and when. And was this for the JC that you pitched to Chaosium? Yep. Okay. It was probably a, at least a year before publication, but we could actually find out the date on it because it is all neatly logged and it's about two years ago now. Wow. Yeah, and, and we just got really lucky because Jason was putting together what became Pegasus Plateau and uh, I'm told he had somebody drop out so they were short one adventure and our adventure was almost exactly the same length. Yeah, our adventure just came onto his desk at a really opportune time. Uh, I just said, yep, yeah, there we go. That solves me a problem. Done. And there we go. And Are you able to tell us uh, uh, what level the squealing was at once that you uh, got the email through that you were going to be published? If you didn't actually hear it, it was because you were asleep in Australia. There was such a fanboy moment, um, I've <laughs> got to say. Um, getting my first uh, RPG published thing by by this company of all people you know and it was like who who have been consistently my favorite games company forever and it's like ah <laughs> yeah yeah i was very very happy i i've got screenshots on my phone which i still occasionally look at yeah yeah that's very cool and then from there then obviously publishing in the johnstown compendium can you tell us uh, a bit about the publications that you've got up there so far now, at this point, this is complicated enough that I need to get up a spreadsheet. Ah, uh, spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty complex. There's my sales spreadsheet. So we've got one, two, three, four, five. Oh, I need to scroll. We've got quite a few publications, um, in part because I have a lot of free time and in part because I've done a few things with other people. So the first thing we published was Rocks Fall, which is an art experimentation with Chris to find out basically did she want to be our main artist. And then after that, we liked it so much, we went on pretty much immediately to Stone and Bone together. But we're still hoping to make that the first part of a trilogy. We have ideas, we need to find the time. And I know Chris is very keen to get on with that. Then COVID hit, so we released Colour Your Own Trollkin, which is free in perpetuity, forever, we just want to make you happy. And we also added to Rock's Fall, Troll's Fall. If you want to play the troll side of things, we have all the motivations for you. 
So that's a completely free extra scenario to celebrate us getting up to silver. Um, it, it has improved and expanded art and it tells you what Relga wants out of life, which is mostly to eat people. Can I just say that I think that's probably one of my favourite things about the JC is that the fact that, you know, you can put out a publication and then just keep building on top of it as the interest actually comes yeah. through. It's, you know, quite dynamic. And we liked that. We knew that Trolls Fall was relatively small, but we knew it was art heavy and beautiful. So we didn't want to underprice it. But once it had started being popular, we were very happy to expand it. So we feel the expansion gives you more than merely words. I, I've now got to go on, like, eat your packed lunch and we'll keep going. Um, <laughs> after that, I was partway through writing Vingers Ford when Matthew Pook, Pookie, um, approached me with a manuscript for Jordan's Rescue Redux and all of the permissions that he needed to make it. And I'd never actually worked with a classic before. So it's not officially a beer with teeth thing, but I did the layout for that and I'm very proud to be associated with it as the layout artist. Um, I also volunteered a bit of the art and the finding art time and got Chris on board to do the cover. That was quite an interesting one, going back to the old classic. I, I dug out my old classic White Dwarfs and got the name of the original artist and then Barrett tracked him down and gave permission to use the original art in the, just as a representation in the back for the cover of White Dwarf, which had nothing to do with it. That, that. Was really cool. It's like, hey, this is this thing. And, and so we, because of him and thanks to him, we have the ghoul coming out, which is actually a bit of Cthulhu art, but it's just from that particular issue we've got that particular bit of art. So. Oh, is it the one It's like got a bit of like a tombstone with the, the, the thing coming out of it? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was featured uh, in the uh, Games Workshop edition of Cthulhu that came out at that time and was also on the cover of White Dwarf because, you know, they recycled a lot. Um, a lot. And it's, it's actually been on the cover of a few novels and stuff as well because the artist sold it on to other things. But, yeah, it's a classic bit of um, fantasy art of the period. It never ceases to amaze me. I mean, I was probably between 13 and 14 when all those white dwarfs come out. And you can't remember them, but when you see one of those old covers, bang, you're transported completely back. And the amount of time you spend staring at those covers, it's, yeah, it's it's deep in your brain. You just need the trigger to remember. It's fantastic. Absolutely. I, I've got them all still, all my all my old collection, which is pretty good. It was complete. Wow. It was pretty good. Um, uh, in the next room, and I actually am running stuff from them again still now, which is which is great fun. I think um, old RuneQuest stuff, especially and figures and dice, for me go the same way as the occasional sock. So I've no idea where a lot of my collection has gone. Box sets of RuneQuest figures, dice. Somebody's got them somewhere. I don't know who. And then from Vingus Ford, then, what was the next project? Um, yeah, so after Jorthan's Rescue Redux, there was Vingus Ford, and that was yep. one that I did alone. Um, no one else really had time at that point, but I think that was around the time of lockdown, quite early on still. And... I had a load of time and I wanted to be learning computer art properly because I'm a traditional artist, but I wanted to be creating a dig digital art pieces. So my first proper digital art piece is the cover of Vingers Forward. Like, that's the first one I was really happy to actually sit out as a cover. 
I know it has a few problems, but it works. But then after Fingers Ford, we all kind of looked at each other. And I've been co-writing something with Erin in the background. She's very much part of the team. But we've been chewing over, should we do something? Because there's Rajar over there, there's Dom, getting really excited about Griffin Mountain and going, we should map Clearwine! I really, really, really wanted, yeah, it comes back to what I was saying before, I wanted to do the city books. And it was something that Jeff said, it's something that Jeff said, he was talking about um, Johnstown, I think it was. And he said, um, you know, somebody said, oh, I've written all this stuff, and I've gone to this detail. And he said, oh, we're going to do Johnstown, but we're not going to go to that house to house detail level. And part of something inside me went, oh, I really wanted that. <laughs> and I thought, well, let's do it. And uh, Jeff, actually was very supportive of the idea and said yes that's exactly what we want Johnstown to do we want people to pick up that level of detail that we will never be able to do and so that that was like yes let's do this and everybody else looked at me like I was a bit mad um, actually I looked at him like I didn't understand how much work was going to be involved and that I said yes every house and every person hmm. yeah if there were calls for it, we'd do that. But I reckon that if we could get away with it, I want to do at least one city block set. Like, Dregs is one block set. There are other minor bits of the slums we probably don't need to do. But if we did at least one block set for every class or, or every set of guilds or whatever, that would really chuff me. Yeah, I'd, I'd like us to do pretty much the whole of Clearwine and not not to every person because that doesn't give GMs room to do their own thing. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to do that. But I'd also like to do every other town in Sartar and every other town in everything else. And, you know, the, the world, time is not infinite. But um, yeah, yeah, I really wanted to do it. Other than picking out a favourite child, do you have one that you're particularly fond of, of that catalogue? Well, after Dregs, there is still one more to mention. Dom had stepped in at the last minute to create uh, what was originally called The Box. Um, we had Varanis, Erin, who was relatively new to our team at that point, and relatively new to, sorry, not even in the team, relatively new to the game. And she'd gone completely all in with a plot hook. So, Dom, do you want to explain that one? Yeah, um, it was a, a last, a real last minute deal. And I'm, I'm going to give out a, a, a shout out to my friends at Trinity Knot Studios. And I'll explain why in a minute. Last minute, uh, our regular GM just couldn't run anything. He just, you know, had a shocking day. I got nothing in the tank. I got no plot, guys. Can somebody run something? And uh, so my friends of mine at Trinity Knot Studios do a, a GM's tarot deck, which is just basically you draw three cards and it has your overlying plot, your theme, and any hooks or twists and i just drew three cards and i ran the like 10 minutes before the game began and i ran the game from that and i think the the cards were the box and you really want to know what's in the box um confused elderly people and <laughs> and uh, you are being watched i think with the cards and it was like okay and i just made up uh, a diversion along the road and yeah erin uh varanis went all in on knowing what's in the box and we ended up with um characters mud wrestling in front of the box trying to get it off each other and and, and it came to blows as as the elves and the elders arrived there was a scuffle going on between the players and it just the whole thing was just glorious and so i thought you know what and i think that was one of the first times i stepped into gm way back when and i thought you know what i'll write that up and let's do that and Bera there wanted to do some really interesting things with some of the internal art, uh, which I thought really, 
it was really interesting and wanted to run it as a one-off and so we set out wrote that up and i ran it as a as the second play test because we'd had this once one into the distant past at glorantha games uh, again pookie's uh, and friends thing and i ran it as a play test at glorantha games and uh, i credit the guys there who played in it as play testers as well and they added a few bit more detail and a few more uh, twists to it and um we that's how we came up with uh, woodcraft yeah, so as you said, so then they put another spanner in. Yeah. yeah. So do I have a favourite? It's actually hard to tell. Um, I have favourite bits within each one, like the troll Vingan encounter itself in Vingan's Fall, or the fact that Deverval wears human armour and is a bit upset sometimes that people of human size don't wear duck-shaped armour. And, and that's that's like a little bit unfair. And and what I really like is is a lot of the small details. So it's hard for me to say I have a favourite. You know, Dregs is just damned awesome. I uh, bury me with one of those. But even within that, I got like there are bits that I love much more. Yeah, I, I I'd say the same. Um, obviously because Dregs was my uh, brainchild, even though um, it got ripped apart and put back together again by everybody else. And I, you know, my actual input and content was mostly to do with characters and stuff, um, and the original "let's do this" and madness and doing sketch maps. But actually, a lot of most of even of the content wasn't me in the end. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd say Drex is my favourite. So I've heard a lot of people say that they kind of they pass on once once a publication is done, they put it aside, and then their next favourite thing is the thing they're working on currently. Is that the case with you, or? Generally, I hate what I'm working on. I, I loathe it. It's an albatross around my neck. It's horrific. Um, I enjoy getting to the end stages of it. When I stop hating an artwork in general, that means it's getting good. But I have to fight my way through absolutely everything I do. So my favourite one is generally the one I've just released, or Dregs. Yeah. Um, for me, yeah, obviously I love Dregs. Um, I'm not... Uh, having just done Woodcraft, I, I'm sort of in the run-up. There's another thing I ran um, for af after a little while. We split the two groups um, because it became too big, our role-playing group. So we split it into two, and I'm the primary GM of one of them. There's uh, something that I ran loosely as a follow-up, Defending Apple Lane, but um, it ties in a lot of the area there, which I'm quite interested to do, and I know Chris wants to do some of the art for that. So I'm quite interested in uh, doing that. But yeah, Jax remains my favourite for the moment, at least until I've gone through. And I do go through the the lack of motivation partway through the project, just like Hannah's <laughs> said. Um, so yeah, the, the, at the moment, I'm still think that's a good idea, but um, we'll see how far we get when I get into writing it up from my notes. You mentioned that um, part of the process was the rest of the team pulling pulling what you've written apart and then putting it back together again. Is that a common part of the process is that something that has worked out as to be something that happens regularly yeah absolutely that that happens a lot um generally one of us will come up with the the key idea and it's normally me or Diana, but not exclusively um and then and then we the other one we we, we rip it apart both us and the other members um erin's very good at providing this detail and background and, and some characters and things like that and chris is very good at providing rakes that we step on uh, and saying oh have you thought about this and we go no and then we argue with her for a bit and then we can see she's right 
and then and then we have to go rewrite a bunch of stuff um uh, and that happens quite a bit um so yeah there's definitely a ripping it all apart and putting it back together again and i think that's one of the advantages of a team it's also a disadvantage because it can take a while but i think it's in one of the advantages of the team is that um we aren't focused on one idea, uh, one person's brain. And we've seen this with some of the other, and I'm not, this is no way a criticism of anything else out there, but you do sort of send stuff out there. And if, you've, if you're if you the co only person who's had eyes on before it publishes, you can suddenly go, oh, I didn't think about that. Mm. Um, well, you're almost playtesting it as you're writing it in a group, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We always do playtest it in group. Yeah. Generally, we, we run a thing. Uh, within one or two of the groups like I run my own uh, one and a half days a week sort of wrong wrong one and a half times a week I run a game um, so Vinger's Ford happened because a friend said and I, I am now going to reveal this to Rajar so Darlant's character uh, Darlant's player I love him very much and usually he says something and I attempt to make it into the plot and this one was the real adventure is the friends you make along the way. And it, it just sets things off in my head. And I, I take it as um as a challenge to try and make something from whatever Tristan has said. So hail to you, Blythe Darlanth. But for me, the process is a bit different because I have all that spare time that other people don't have. But also, I'm the only person who has yet been doing the layout and the writing. And I'm often the editorial voice. So that means that I do a lot of my editing actually in the layout document, whereas everyone else does their editing with each other because they have to pass it through me anyhow. Quite often I'll have something almost finished and then I'll pass it out to someone else to read. But we all know kind of what happened and I have the ability to put in, um, oh, if that happens, do A, if this happens, do B. So I have a tendency to over rely on myself because I can do the art and I can do the writing so if we need art in there I often assign it to me and if we need writing in there well why shouldn't I assign it to me I'm there and, and then we need the editing and I'm the I'm the last voice anyhow for me it's actually rather different because for dregs absolutely true what Rajar said we we went in there we we each had a thing that we were doing we critiqued each other's work but when I'm doing something alone or if I'm doing something with Chris, she does very good rakes, but I tend to do a lot of the final writing again. For me, the process is put it down, bang it into shape in words and art at the same time, and then return it to other people to look at. And in fact, that is a weakness of mine. I could ask for a lot more help with the writing. It's just that either I can be doing the writing or I can be doing the project management and I know which of those I actually prefer. So I, I tend to gallop ahead more and then get feedback afterwards, but I always make sure there are rounds of feedback. Yeah, it's super important. I think that's one of the things that I regret not doing more is working in a in a group because you do, I, I feel that the writing tends to take longer. You tend to go down paths, which if you're working with somebody else, they can steer you off before you've gone too far down them and you have to write yourself back out of a, a hole, as it were. So on that then, are there any elements of the publications that you still struggle with within a group? And if so, how do you overcome them, assuming that you have? I think we're pretty well oiled now. I mean, when we have something to do, it basically, as long as we all have some time, 
probably the most difficult thing is project management. I know sometimes Chris has a problem here. She's almost the opposite of us in that she takes a lot of the art briefs, creates them and then comes back with the feedback. And she does actually, she said, get art blocks sometimes. And that's really horrible. And she had it on dregs. Do you remember that, Rachel? Yeah, it was very interesting. We were trying to do uh, the cover of Dregs and Chris could just not picture what we were trying to describe. Um, and it just wasn't working for her. We sent quite a lot of time into it. And then I think the breakthrough came when we said, you know what, let's just do the NPC sketches. Um, we've described all these NPCs. Can you just start doing some art from them? And we'll use something out of that to be the cover. And then um, the dam burst and uh, we couldn't keep up with the sketches that kept arriving on the Discord channel. <laughs> and there were the, these these fantastic character arts just appearing like every, like it seemed like every 10 minutes, it was like, here's another genius piece of work. And it was like, damn it. <laughs> and it just kept coming. Yeah, two or three times a day would find out what somebody looked like. And the, the original cover came in really quite early, the cover sketch, because once she was going, oh, we only want a vignette, it just took the pressure off her and she didn't, we were saying, don't bother with the finished cover. We can take that away if necessary. We Don't stress yourself, just doodle. And she went, you know what? There's, there's this picture of Diogenes in his barrel and, and it turned out completely awesome. So yeah. she struggles. We probably yeah. all struggle with being blocked in our writing a bit, but she, um, she needs an inspiration. She, she describes herself as an alien wildebeest and Sometimes I do translation for her from human to alien wildebeest. It's like, what does this client want? So I can tell her, oh yeah, that, that actual detail that you think you're hung up on, the client hasn't noticed that. She, she has different struggles. I think that mostly Erin struggles with being very busy and wanting to finish things perfectly. Erin is very much a perfectionist and wants to do all this wonderful stuff and doesn't have the time, really doesn't. So um, that's certainly an issue. And for me, it's it's really weird because I'm used to being a GM and being very creative and being able to spool out loads and loads and loads of stuff. But that just hasn't been the case in the last few years. And so I have to think about things quite a lot. I spend a lot of time sort of wandering around the woods and riverbank thinking about characters and things and before I eventually produce something, which I know could be frustrating for my co-writers. But, um, but that's how it's turned out for me. And did lockdown get your juices flowing in terms of creativity or did it get somewhat stifled? For me, oddly, it got it got quite stifled to start with initially. And and I think that was to do with sort of, you know, stress and and, mm. and, and the sort of the whole zeitgeist thing going on of like, you know, wow, you know, I was kind of expecting an apocalypse. I was expecting more zombies. I could use my axe. But no, it was sort of, wow. And then it's taken a while. I think now, as we still go on, because, you know, we're still struggling with it. We've just gone into a, another lockdown in parts of the UK, at least. Chris Chris just came out. We, the rest of us just went in. And I've, I've certainly got more ideas this time around. So, yeah, now now having adjusted. But, yeah, it's 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 been interesting. I'm naturally pretty introverted. So, for me, the problem was being locked in a house with other people. I, I've had a few bad times, but for the main part, I'm very fortunate to be able to go to my job now. So I work in a loft. There's one other person there. He's my boss. We shout at each other from a long distance away, which is how we've always communicated. <laughs> and that's really cool. So that does give me a break. But when we were really solidly locked down the first time, 
that was when I just threw myself into learning digital art for a while. So that didn't directly produce anything, but it did lead to Fingers Ford and to me being able to do the art for the box for Tale of Woodcraft because I developed those skills during that time. But, you know, I, I know I lost other skills. I'm basically feral right now. Um, and I do try to bite the postman. Uh, we believe that. Yeah, it was um, lockdown was certainly an interesting time, especially when you had a publication written which revolved around disease-driven creatures. In uh, that was that was an interesting choice. I I do recall you yeah. saying, "Should I publish this now?" It's like, what yeah. do you do? You put in all that work. Yeah, it's like, yeah. hmm, damn it, trolls are a lot cleaner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I've asked this question to all of the people that have published on the JC and it's been overwhelmingly positive, but I don't expect it to be any different for you guys. But have you been happy with the sales? Yes, um, I'm, I'm a natural pessimist. So I went in, I, I have the sales figures in front of me. I'm a natural pessimist. So I went in kind of going, if we get to silver, that will be good. If we have, you know, one sale a week for a year, that's what we're going to be happy with. And we actually agreed with Chris I agreed with Chris, what would be appropriate, what we'd be not unhappy with as our base. Um, and then Rock's Fall just blew past that completely. And in fact, as, she, as Chris points out, they're still selling. So especially at the beginning of the month, you get a little uptick in sales. Mm. Someone new comes along, they have money, and they buy the beer with teeth work. So she's very happy with them as well, I know. She, she feels it's been a, an appropriate use of her artistic time. Um, yeah, I, th I think we're all pretty well chuffed. Yeah, we, we definitely are. And I, I know Erin um, is very happy because although she is a professional academic and has um, a lot of publications, this is the first one she's been paid for because, <laughs> uh, you know, that's not how academia works. So, no, no. Um, and myself, yeah, totally. Between that and being paid by the, the by charism themselves, it's, you know, I never thought I'd earn money from gaming. You know, it just mm -hmm. like it never occurred to me in my wildest dreams that I would earn money. OK, it's not going to give up the day job. Not that I have one at the moment. Thank you. Thank you, COVID. But, um, you know, that's the I've got a job interview later. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? Didn't expect it, but the figures have been great. And looking at Johnstown itself, I, I really am amazed at the quality of the work and the mm. amount of the work. I mean, and yeah, look how we do on the, the overall sales figures, you know, at drive through. The community content, Jonestown's where it's at. It's really yeah, pushing smashing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's smashing it. And the quality of the content, I think, you know, there's there's been that one thing publication that should remain nameless that got pulled because they hadn't asked for permission um for, for yeah. a bunch of stuff. And it's not on there anymore. It's gone. Um, but other than that, you look at it, it's really good stuff there. When we were putting Greg's together, I thought this this is amazing. And then you look at what else is out there and you think, Good God, it's all great it does yeah. make you think how the hell have other people got the time to put in yeah. you know the time that they've done to it must have been working on it for years surely either that or uh, there, there, there's some serious amount of love and passion that gone into these which has sometimes led to you know in the johnstown forum there, there there's often been quite a few sort of ding-dongs between creators but you know it's all from love yeah. <laughs> and because and it's all about making the best works we can and there's been some incredible stuff out there I really like. So, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's testament to Greg's world building abilities, I think, that yeah. that it has still, you know, what are we talking now, 40 more years on, people are still 
you know, writing for the world and also what the others have done in terms of the golden age of RQG now. It's really kind yeah. of restoked it. Yeah, it really has. It really has. And it didn't come at a better time with all this lockdown with people doing it online. And I feel for those people that just don't adapt to playing online and, and don't enjoy it. But but for those that have, I mean, my, my gaming's gone up through the roof. Um, and it's one of the mm. things that's really helped, although, you know, I've got a nice space to wander around in. Yeah, it, the, the, the number and quality of content out there is amazing. It's really good. Yeah, I like the fact that Dregs looks like it competes with the best, like that, that we hit that bar and there are other things out there. And I think that the community responds to that and that, you know, the sales come because they're worth it and they come for everyone, which is good. And going back to what you were saying earlier, I think Greg's genius was allowing internal conflict. Not everything had to be consistent and you could have lots of different viewpoints because I think that's genius. You go and look at some of the other big established role-playing worlds. They, they either didn't allow people that creativity, you know, Gygax and co just didn't let people have that thing unless yeah. they were incredibly trusted. But I think Greg's genius is, you know, you could have one worldview, which is this way, and it's all completely true. And then you could have somebody else's view, which is diametrically opposed to that. And that's, and that's also true. And I think by having that, it doesn't matter if individual voices differ slightly, because that's just their perspective. It's not even just perspective, it's an additional thing, and it's better. As soon as you set out, your Glorantha will vary, and this is the mythological reason why. You set up this point where you can have a really healthy ecosystem of the whole tribe going, I have this idea, and Greg going, I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and I think that's, it's real genius in that. Um, and allowing the, you know, because I've been involved in writing for, for other worlds and things, nothing that's all publication. Somebody did once pay me for it, never got published. Ooh, that burned. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, having that creativity and being able to do that. And, and so if your game were very slightly somewhat, but, you know, Grandfather Monkey taught us all magic. Nobody else knows this, but it's still true. <laughs> it's an interesting balance of giving you the framework of the world for you to play in, but then also having it to be free enough that you can still do whatever you want in the world and it still feel grounded in that setting. Whereas with something like D&D, I only played it for a while, but it was almost that kind of flatline, very, you know, homogenous. There didn't seem to be any spark or life in it, whereas RuneQuest is an explosion. Absolutely. One of the reasons I really loved my original first D&D campaign was the amounts that my GM had read, some of which I'd read as well. You know, there we were, third level characters wandering through this place. And we reached somewhere on the sea and it's called Innsmouth. <laughs> and, you know, he, he was capable of shoving that in. And that really was what made it. It was all the additions rather than understanding the D&D world. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and for me, that's where Glorantha triumphs because you can get all these wonderful things that people do in their D&D or whatever else games, um, but then they either have to publish it as a separate game world. Yeah. Or, or it just yeah, it's gets not lost. cohesive. It's yeah. not cohesive. So you have something like the, the wonderful Aurelian thing that was in White Dwarf back in the day, this wonderful, gorgeous city. Uh, the rest of that, author's campaign world is lost it's sat in his attic somewhere and has never seen the light of day or publication and never will probably because he's got bats in eyes. <laughs> um, so you know it's never going to happen and it's never going to get adopted but if you did something that good in Grantha, you got every chance of um back in the day of getting accepted as official um although the bar was a bit higher but now you stick it on johnstown sandhart is on the map now 
Uh, and exactly. So it went, a hmm. high quality thing went into the Johnstown Compendium and now it's on the map of Sun County. Yeah, and that just could not happen um, easily in d and I mean, they had efforts at trying to do it, but mm. they were sort of pushing against the current the whole way to make it happen. And it kind of broke down, whereas Glorantha, it was baked in from the beginning. And, and that makes it such a, a wonderful setting to write for. So you've had the sales that you're really happy with. Have there been any um, special responses from fans and, and customers, for want of a better word, that have interacted with your material that you've really kind of taken to heart? Yeah, right early on when Rock's Fall was one of the first things, people like gave battle reports and that was really damn cool. Uh, but the best things I'm finding now is someone will say something like, ooh, I did this thing with Fingers Ford and... Uh, or like, oh, I'm going to be playing this, mm. but it's really awesome that you've got this clan structure so I know who the NPCs are. So quite often they interact with the world building. Occasionally they just offer critiques. So I don't know if Dom's had this. I, I, I'm loud as the publishing voice as well. So sometimes you'll find someone come up to you on Facebook and say, look, I have these ideas. What do you want? Write it. Write it all down. Yeah, I've had a bit of that, not as much as yourself, because you tend to be more uh, the face of things. But yeah, I get a bit. Uh, I tend to hang out more on the BRP forum as well, so I tend to get more of it there. But I haven't been there lately, it must be said. Um, yeah, and in general, it's been good. Right? We we get some massively good reviews. I treasure the one from Hervé, which is like, this is an absolutely wonderful, amazing, beautiful book. Four stars. It's like, man, the logic went into that. I love it more than I love most of the five star reviews. Yeah, that's a, that's a cheeky one. Um, and for those people that are thinking about writing for the Johnstown Compendium, that have you know got half a manuscript and they're thinking of actually publishing, would you have any advice for those people? I'd say, first of all, do it. Absolutely do it. Get um if you're going to think about or you think you've got something that might get to um print on demand level which now of course has to be electrum you want to do that from the start otherwise you'll cry more and i didn't do the layout i just heard i heard bera crying a lot there were tears at 2 a.m i would also say if, if it is your child of love if you're a love project then you, you know really get it play tested get feedback get other authors in as soon as you can to get that additional thing it'll hurt but it'll hurt less than publishing it without it uh, and then finding out all the things that you maybe could have improved. Uh, so I do that, but absolutely do it. Absolutely do it. Yeah, so I'd say definitely get play tested and get edited. For me personally, I would say start small because my experience was that I did editing and layout at the same time as I was writing the first thing with Chris. So for me... It was important to do rocks full to develop the skills that went into the later, more complicated things. Other people may not have that experience. If you have a writing partner or a layout partner who knows how to do this, then you've got much more of an advantage. So also the Johnstown Community Creators Circle has a lot of people who genuinely want to help you and want you to succeed and you can ask for help, and the strongest thing we've got going isn't actually our ideas, it's the community that you've got around you. So if you have half a manuscript, A, make it into a manuscript, and B, ask for help during that process and during the next upcoming bits where you've got to make it into a book. So rely on your community and kick yourself up the backside. I'd add two other things is um, don't underestimate how much work it is 
when dregs is the biggest thing we've done and I, I deliberately chose quite a small area to do and it took us a lot of work to get that done so it's a lot of work and, and second thing is if you're purely a writer and you don't do layout and you don't do art do not underestimate the amount of effort that goes into layout and into producing art because I, I do you, you quite often see um, not necessarily on Johnstown but uh, you know generally writers going oh can you just knock some art out for me mate hmm. and it's like it's not not like that it really it really really isn't and then when you start getting into how much effort the the layout and the art takes that that really was an eye-opener for me mm -hmm. and um because the first thing i did was just it went off to chaosim and they did all that stuff and it just happened you know and then when you actually start doing it yourself it's like okay so when people start getting impatient for the next book coming I now completely understand the pain and effort of, you know, what do you mean? You had it all written. You're just doing layout and art. Why is it so late? No, no, no. You don't. <laughs> and the quality that they're producing stuff now as well. And oh, I should yeah, say as yeah. well, within the Johnstown Compendium, I think yeah. writing is great, but if the format that it's being produced in and presented in is not to the highest standard it can be, it does have an impact on the way that people interact with the content. So oh, for yeah, anybody totally. out there, I think it's definitely worthwhile. You know, this thing, even the great templates that are out there that were created by Rick at Chaosium are a great yeah. starting point. But even if it's just to get somebody to go through and have a bit of a critical eye, as, as they may do with writing, to do the same with layout. Yeah, so there's one other thing I'd say if you're going to be making your own thing. With Fingers Ford. I went in, I actually went outside beer with teeth because I knew everyone would go, yeah, we'll do this editing for you. And and I wasn't sure how the breakdown of money would go there because I was a bit worried that they'd basically just be doing it for free because it's it was so nearly finished and they know how much the work is and labor's worth money, but that was actually a little bit awkward. So I went to someone else, um, Akalas, Austin Conrad, and you know he, he's got a small cut in it, but he actually provided a complete outside editing structure for me finding people who have a skill set that you can rely on and not that i can't rely on beer with teeth they'd just be too nice about it is um it's a very important part of publishing like give up five ten fifteen percent to an editor give up some to a layout artist make sure that they do it right and and that's what royalties are for it's like share we know we're not going to get rich out of this Mm -hmm. Don't try and keep all of the effort and all of the money for yourself. You'll do better with other people. Um, and in writing some of the publications that you've put out so far, um, did you have any input from the Chaosium staff? Uh, and if so, how was that? There have been a couple of small things. First of all, you know, you can ping someone on Facebook or ask on Facebook, what's this thing? And sometimes you get a detailed reply because, you know, Jeff decides to splurt 300 words onto the page. <laughs> but also... Um, Erin at that point was talking to Jeff about a bit of work that she was doing for Chaosium. So we got, we we'd finished a lot of stuff, we thought, and then we got this boot actually just, just, just tweak that bit in there and, and talk about the upcoming SATA book. So I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say of what actually happened, but we did get direction for what we shouldn't do. 
So it, we took out a few things with, with dregs in particular. We were trying very hard to keep a uh, to keep it as as close to canon as possible, so that you can just pick it up and use it and know absolutely that it works other things. So a we kept as much to RuneQuest Galantha as possible, and b there was some input, and I can't actually say how much because Erin was the one who said, "Look." This bit's got to go, but we can put that bit in instead. So I think there are, there, there's mention of rune spells in there, which aren't actually published yet. But when they do get published, they'll mesh with what we've written. So you know, it, it just so happens that we know who Sartre the Builder is and who Gus Bran is in this particular rune quest. But we didn't get particularly dictated to. They've been very good about that. And obviously the feedback from from what they've read of your publication so far has been really positive yeah very very much so we've we've had no negative feedback at all from them uh, i presume if they've got any they kept it to themselves <laughs> we didn't get any behind the scenes feedback or anything like that certainly anything would have been in public so if you had unlimited time and budget would there be a particular project that you'd like to undertake next um yeah um, i've already mentioned this in a way I, i'd love to finish doing if not all of Clearwine, then a lot, a chunk of it. And I'd like to do the same for other towns and cities, maybe further afield from Sartre. I, I'd love to do that. I really love some of the big sprawling uh, Chaosium campaigns, uh, be it for Cthulhu or, or Pendragon. And I know Jeff's doing one of those at the moment. Um, and I know there's another one coming from Pendragon that's been worked on by another friend at Chaosium. But I, I'd love to do something like that as well. And potentially, Going back again to Aurelian, I'd I'd love to finish doing Clearwine and maybe some of the other towns and cities, and then do a big sprawling adventure that ran through those areas and tied it all together and did that. But that that is a that's a big project, so uh, I, I doubt it'll ever happen. But we'll, we'll never know. Maybe it will. Maybe earmark that one for the next lockdown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know that Chris wants to go crazy with Brew at some point. She said that. It's like she wants to get really deeply into the things that she can draw that are interesting. Um, uh, Beer with Teeth have a few projects lined up she's excited about. She wants to work on Stone and Bone and flesh out more characters for different parts of Clearwine or for more source books. I know Erin is happy. She Erin wants to do dregs. She wants to do um, the Weaver's Quarter. Uh, yeah. spoiler that for you that might be the next thing we do but yeah. we, we spent about an hour working out new possible titles and although we had to stamp on some brutally there are some um, there's some things that we re reckon we can do that we all want to do for me personally if I had unlimited time and budget I would put down the Johnstown compendium and rebuild my art machine from scratch I'm a traditional artist, I'm an engineer, I've made a machine that does art for me, but it doesn't yet do lino cutting and it doesn't yet do oil painting or watercolour. So that, that's what I'd like to do. If you force me to go to the Glorantha world, I'd probably want to make um, a one in 10 model of the Bolt Home Palace and paint it. And if you're going to say time and budget allowed, yeah, that, screw, screw that, we shall type some things. I would, right in the middle of Cambridge, build a one in 10 and actually, I've got to do it on Castle Hill. It's the only castle. It's the only hill we've got. Like huge, great big version of Johnstown Palace or, or the, of the Boldhome Palace. Um, if you force me to say that it's got to be on the Johnstown Compendium, um, well, at that point, I probably want to finish off a load more clear wine stuff. I've got the the problem is I have so many ideas, and if I had unlimited time and budget, I would commit fraud so I could do all of them. 
well, why are you asking me to only do one? And I know Ray Joel's actually with me there. He's just quieter yes. about four than recording. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But yeah, um, all of us are looking, hopefully, towards various projects we've got on the boil and then uh, expanding clear wine. And that's all of us need to be together and have free time for that. But we're eager to do it when we can. What's the process then for deciding what you do next? Is there is it just getting a room, shirts off, all have a fight, or is it a bit more democratic than that? That covers it, actually. <laughs> yeah, pretty much that covers it. it. It's about levels of enthusiasm. So it's what do we want to do next? What's the energy there for to do? Because mm -hmm. we know it takes so much time and energy to do these things. So what what's got the enthusiasm? And you know, and if a project only catches one or two people's imagination, then they may go and do it, or and other people may just like snipe from the sidelines, or it may be that we all come up with this idea and we really wanted to do dregs after I beat people up enough. Um, so <laughs> then we might do something like that. So it is, it's a mixture. It's how much energy have we got to do something? It's a bit awkward right now because I started being the layout person and the, you know the the editing person. Beer with Teeth has a particular editorial voice and it's mine. Plus, I'm currently the only person skilled with layout. Uh, this is actually going to change when Erin has more time after the end of the academic year. I'm going to be teaching her that. When Chris has more spoons and isn't doing art, I'm going to be teaching her that as well. So that should loosen things up. But quite often we fall prey to the fact. More spoons? Spoons is a, a measure that it's used in um, energy. You only have so many teaspoons of energy uh, left <laughs> in any one day. So it takes, you know, X spoons to get out of bed, X spoons to have a shower. And, and it's sort of, it, it's, you, it's, it's a mental health type of thing that it originally came from, but we find it very helpful to describe um, how much energy you've got left. So someone said to their friend, what is it actually like? And their friend was looking around for something and grabbed six spoons and says, this is your ration of energy for the day. What are you going to do? You need to get out of bed. So she said, took one, said, okay, I'm going to get up. And then her friend took more and said, you're going to get dressed and you're going to have a shower. And then there were three spoons left and three spoons gone. And all she'd done was got up. At that point, her friend understood just what the problem was, where she hadn't, despite being a good friend and, and loving each other, she hadn't understood and she just looked and went oh and spoons since then has become also about mental health it's like how much bandwidth do you have but it is literally your ration of ability to do things so you know for example when when uh erin's in full teaching mode and she's got shed loads of work to mark and uh you know uh, maybe maybe she's just lost a, a student aid or something so she's doing it on herself she's got very little time and effort to put in on our project um, and with me, sometimes it's just, I haven't got it. <laughs> Sorry, tank's empty. Um, uh, don't ask me to do anything creative today. I'm running um, two games a week, that's it. Um, I'm playing in one, uh, can't do anything more. But then there are other times when you've got loads for no apparent reason. So it depends on entirely on the amount of energy in the room and availability, really. Yeah, me being the layout person, I, I have defaulted to project management as well. So quite often, if I'm pushing something, it moves. And I don't think there's yet been a beer with teeth publication that I haven't been in on. And I'd like that to change. Like, I, I look forward to it being different. So it, it, it would be a bit weird to say there is a process because mostly what there is is enthusiasm to move the next project forwards. My habit of being in, in layout is a bit of a blocker on that. And I that's why we're 
hoping that other people will be learning it as well. Yeah, and, and for example, that people do tend to, uh, I certainly, I'll, I'll be scribbling away notes in the background, but until we start talking about layout and editing, it doesn't become real, if you know what I mean. You know, I'll have a bunch of sprawling notes it, 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 on paper or on a book somewhere or, or in a notepad file, but until we actually start doing the nuts and bolts of getting it into a, into a, a layout, then it doesn't really start being real. Um, so this has been a bit of a contentious question with some of the other podcasts that we've had. So what's your favorite JC project that you weren't involved in uh, and that you would have liked to have been? Um, this is actually a bit awkward for me because I do a lot of the art direction with Chris. When Even when Chris is doing art, I help, you know, be her handler. Alien wildebeest problem again. So I've seen a lot of things. Um, I know that she really loves the rough guide to glamour because it recalibrated her sense of what the community and community title could be. Like it came out and it was just wow. And I quite like that as well. But I think I probably I'm kind of involved in it, but I didn't do any of the work as it were. I think for me it's Sandhart. I went from I don't know anything about that place, why should I get it to this is one of the best adventures I've seen. And oh, this is actually three of the best adventures I've seen. And I'm kind of half spoiled on them because I know all of the arts directions, so I know the secrets and I'm hoping someone else will run them for me first, but I'm also hoping that I get to run them soon. So I, I just love it as, as a big, beautiful thing that comes together well, and especially in volume three, it does something, I, I'm not going to spoiler it, but it does something that I have never seen done in a particular way. And it does it really, really well. And I, I looked at this new mechanic and I went, I like that a lot. And that, that leveled me up as a GM. So for me, it's probably Sandhart volume three, despite being so close to it. Damn it, I want to play it now. Um, okay, uh -huh. for, for, yeah, for me, it's actually, again, a tricky question, not because of my involvement, because I haven't actually read a lot. I bought quite a lot, but because Bera and Tom, who are uh, the two of the three people I play with, as in GM for me, um, have bought a lot of this, and I've given them the space because I've got a lot of the old classic stuff that I'm going to recycle or I'm going to write my own. So I actually, although I bought quite a bit, I haven't actually read a lot because I don't want to spoil it myself. And honestly, this is not me being a creep, but the favourite thing I've read is Legion. Um, <laughs> because... I will cut that. Yeah. Um, because I, I love the... I, I do like... Uh, and it's often how I write, is I write a bunch of um, non-player characters and their motivations and the people with them and their teams. And then I kind of maybe throw a few plot hooks at it and then I just wing mm. it as I go. That's very much how I GM. And therefore I really like I really like Legion. But I, in defense of all the other products, I haven't read a lot of them because I'm expecting to play them. So um, yeah. th a lot of them look really, really good. Yeah, no, it's ditto as well. And th thanks for that, as you said. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'm literally just starting a new campaign now. Um, and the yeah. plan was to kick it off with Sandhart. But of course, players have different ideas and it doesn't quite fit. But I'm hoping to run the Pairing Stones combined with Austin Conrad's um, The Troop of Terror as wedding entertainers. I'm hoping that totally goes to shit and they end up being put into the Sun County Militia. But don't yeah. tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll see how we go. I did that out of the transcript. 
So did you you mentioned the weavers quarter of um of clear wine? Did you have anything else in the pipeline you can tell us about, or is that taking up all your energy at the moment? Oh, that that uh, one's that one's a pipe dream. Right. Um, currently, I am doing the layout for something that Tom wrote. So uh, it's it, it's working title is Red Earth Tower. It's got a part set in Sata and then a part set in Israelia. Rajar knows it. He's played it through. I don't want to spoiler it too much, but there is an ironclad bastard in there, and he is one of our favourite NPCs because you know it's it's that little bastard again. Yes, I love yeah, that. A recur- recurring bad guy non-player character who's been far too clever, and my Stormball missed beheading him because of divine intervention, um, and, and really <laughs> wants to kill him. Um, yeah, no, no, no. Really, really looking forward to that. Um, I've yeah. got. Uh, I've got something that I uh, wrote and ran uh, Barrett and the the other group, Tom, uh, and Tom's also in that one, um, as, as is Chris, as is Erin, actually, and my wife, um, run through, and that's working title, The Iron Pig, which I, is... I have a theme of sharpened pigs, and I am not sorry, pigs, and I didn't yeah. this one, which, which but is... I will do free artwork of a sharpened pig for Rajar. Yes, uh, now this, this one's about uh, a Tusk Rider warband, uh, which I'd like to write up, and then um, tip of the hat could be just used wherever you want to have a Tusk Rider warband because they're pretty mobile. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm writing that up, and I've got a whole bunch of particularly nasty um, Tusk Riders led by a female Rune Lord, um, which I think would be uh, quite amusing to spring on people, and they certainly made life particularly difficult for um, for my players back in the day. Chris and I are also spitballing a sequel to Stone and Bone. We have an idea of how a trilogy arc will go. Um, we need to find time for Chris, writing time that I'm not using for layout for me. And when I procrastinate in doing layout, I tend to do art. So I could push that one faster, but I think Chris doesn't really have the energy right now. Um, I'm also working on something with Erin, which I'm not going to spoiler at all. We've got basic plot, we've got a basic understanding of how things happen, and I'm going to throw Rajar and Chris and all the other characters into it at some point. So I'm not even going to hint at that, but there is, like, we've got a thing that we could probably play with a couple of days' notice already. Then hopefully I'll get Erin to do a load of the layout for that. Awesome. And finally, our last question. So to which runes or deity would you commit yourself today? I wouldn't. I mean, people who think that they have an 80% in truth are lying to themselves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, I wouldn't commit myself to any runes, dirty-wise. I wouldn't claim that I'm a shaman, um, but I, I tend that way. And I, I walk up the riverbank every morning, often with my cat in tow, and um, say hi to the river goddess. So I, I'm a shaman of the local river uh, spirit cult. Um, if you want to extend it, I'm not a, I wouldn't claim to be a shaman or anything, but that's, that's the way I roll. Chris does point herself out as being an earth and harmony person. Like if I had to say I had 60% in runes, it would be truth, stabbing people and putting my feet up on the table while I'm talking to the boss. So probably disorder for me yeah, and uh, maybe movement, but you know, I, None of those things are really me. They're all things that I adopt when I go into a world I love and then I come out and I'm someone else. So death death and movement combined in very sharp motions. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, well, thanks both of you for joining me today. It's been a fantastic. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And um, I'm looking forward to talking to you both again in the future. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So it's been a blast. 
Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Black Alex. If you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love it if you were able to leave a review or rating on iTunes or your podcast software of choice. Or if you really liked it, you can support us via Patreon. You can contact us with questions and interview requests via our Facebook page, facebook.com slash groups slash The Project, or email us at theroomquestproject at gmail.com.